0: You have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hosea, so I invite you to check it out. Hosea chapter 9, it is a uh, pretty incredible, Hosea is a pretty incredible book, and here's one of the crazy things <clears throat> that I see as, we, as we've as we been studying through it. You know, there in the old days, I used to think everybody did this, you know, do you go through the whole Bible? I mean... It's kind of God's word to us, right? So it's amazing to me how f- few people ever get an opportunity to hear about any of these books. In fact, if you guys have been doing the, the reading with us, uh, the one-year Bible, it was a while back. Um, I don't remember how many, how many weeks back we were in Judges, and I got a, a lot of... Um, I always know how things are going on the on the th- through the Bible in a year reading when I go come to Monday morning with the pastor and everybody wants to talk about what's a concubine and uh, what in the world just happened. Did I read this right in the Bible? Well, because you have read through the book of Judges, Hosea 9 is going to make sense to you. Because God uses the experience of his people historically as illustration and correction uh, when necessary. Now, for you and I, we're, we're several thousand years down the road, but if we haven't took the time to read the book and the Lord says, I can't believe that you guys are acting like those people in Gibeon," you're going to say, what in the world is that guy? What's he talking about? But if you've read it, You would say, oh, I know what he's talking about. So tonight we have an opportunity to to look at those things. We're in Hosea. Remember, I try to make sure we cover this ground every time. Hosea is a book. We begin with the illustration, the backdrop through which the lens through which we read the book of Hosea is the life of Hosea. Who God said, marry a prostitute. She was unfaithful to him, ran away got abused and used by all the people around there until one day God told Hosea, go get your wife, go redeem her, go buy her back. Now, as we look at the prophecies of Hosea dealing with the iniquity of the people of Israel, this is the section in Hosea um, that's dealing with the idea of how is Israel like Gomer? Because a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, uh, Kathy teases me, I don't remember, where was I when I read uh, Ezekiel 16 So I'm I'm, She gets mad at me when I do stuff like this When I'm visiting somebody else's church So Brian and Alexis had us out And we did a marriage thing right? Marriage conference And anyways we finished it And and Brian's like hey man if you want to teach On Sunday you can And I said I will So I did Ezekiel 16 I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel 16 How many people have read Ezekiel 16 Oh good That's good. You should be familiar with Ezekiel 16. And I have to say the word whore about a hundred times going through Ezekiel 16. And there's all this whore this, whore this, whore this, right? All the way through. And here's the problem when we look at stories like that and readings like that. And we say that we think that is about someone else. If you think Ezekiel 16 is only about Israel and has no application to you or I, you are missing the boat. The point of Ezekiel 16 and Hosea is we are just as wicked as they, and Jesus Christ has redeemed us. Amen? And so we want to recognize it's vital for our walk with Christ to be the tax collector in prayer, right? To be the one who beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not trying to make errors about how holy I am. um, And not using that as an excuse for sin either. But just saying, being being, uh, honest with my condition before God. My condition before God is not great. If I was to stand before his throne, I'm not going to be all glowy white. Until Jesus puts his robe around me. And so, and that's what Hosea is describing. So, the section we're in, in this middle part, is just prior to the promises of redemption that we'll see. This is the part where God is pointing to Israel how Israel is like uh, Hosea's wife Gomer. This is how this is how you, Israel, are a prostitute to me. That's what God. Is describing in this section that we're in. So in Hosea chapter nine, he starts with this phrase: "Rejoice not, O Israel." This is nothing to celebrate, nothing to be excited about. Now listen, in Joel chapter two, in Joel chapter two, verse twenty-three, here's here's the the joy that God wants in His people. Okay, be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors are full of grain, and the vats overflow with wine and oil. And the Lord said, "Oh, rejoice. Look at I've I've provided all these things for you." Now if you're familiar with Ezekiel 16, you know the beginning of Ezekiel 16 is all the blessings God gave to Israel. (coughs) And how Israel shunned the Lord even though. So here in Hosea 9, he begins with this phrase, Rejoice not. Listen to what he's going to say. Exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors. So previously, the threshing floor was to be a place of rejoicing because it showed God's provision. And now the Lord's telling him, don't don't rejoice. You you are as a prostitute to me. You are like Gomer, Hosea's wife. Now, you know everybody there was talking about the story, right? The prophet marrying the prostitute is not a small story. It's front page. But you, it's not different than it would be today. You just picture it as a preacher going out and marrying a prostitute. People would talk about that, wouldn't they? For sure they would. And so this was something they understood. And so the Lord is, the Lord, through Hosea saying, you are as Gomer. You are like a prostitute to me. I've given you things, but you have left me. You're not faithful to me. You've turned your back on me to worship other gods. Now the reason that the joy of harvest is gone, we see in verse 2. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them. The new wine will fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt. They shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it will be defiled. For their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? So he's describing, why why aren't we rejoicing in the time of harvest? And so the Lord is going to say, well, here's why. One, your harvest will not sustain you. They're about to go into exile. They're going to be conquered by Assyria. This harvest, they're not going to eat. This harvest will not sustain you. The new wine will fail you. The second reason, they're not going to remain in the land. You don't get to stay here. Now here's Leviticus 25, 23 tells us this. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. The Lord says, for the land is mine. Who owns the land? That's God's land. When the Canaanites lived there, it was God's land. So God had the right to say, the Canaanites, you don't get to stay. Just like God has a right to say to Israel, you don't get to stay. You don't get to stay in the land. You remember in Genesis, right? When, when Cain slew Abel, what did the Lord say to Cain? First, he comes to him and says, Hey, where's your brother? And Cain has a a sassy mouth with the Lord, right? He says, Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, already, no fear of the Lord? And we're only in chapter 4? It didn't take long, did it? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, Well, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, The idea that the blood of the innocent um, was something that caused the land to be defiled and God to uh, cast Cain out is something that we see happening again in Israel. The blood of the innocent was a problem and, and it's God's land. He says, you don't get to stay here. You have not done justice. You have not provided mercy. You have not cared for the orphan or the widow. And so the Lord would declare, you don't get to stay. This land, you don't get to stay here. The third thing he tells them, you're going back to Egypt. Now, the idea of going back to Egypt is just a a metaphor for you're going into bondage. In this case, the Egypt is Assyria. He's, He's going to describe that in a moment. But the idea that Egypt is Assyria, it's a place of bondage. It remains that picture. That's why God would always say to the children of Israel, don't go back to Egypt. What are you doing? It's not because Egypt was somehow an, an evil nation and you're not allowed to go there. It's because it was a picture. It was a picture of returning to bondage. Why would you return to bondage if you've been set free? How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? It's no different for the believer when the Lord says, why would you return to the bondage of sin if the blood of Jesus Christ has made you free? And so here he's saying, look, don't, you're going back to Egypt. You're returning into bondage. You're returning into bondage. The fourth thing he tells them, you are going to eat unclean things. That's like saying you're going to eat things that will make a billy goat puke. If you are conquered by another nation and drug away a slave, do you really think you have control over your diet? You remember the prodigal son? Remember when he was working in the pig pen? He started looking at the pods that the pigs ate and thinking, that looks good. Right? So here, the same way, you're going to eat unclean things. This is a sign. And specifically, he says they will eat unclean food Where? In Assyria. So this is what he's talking about. The conquering of the nation. uh, Of Assyria over the northern kingdom. And the fifth thing. Probably the saddest part. God says. I'm not going to hear your worship anymore. He says. Your worship will not please me. Your worship does not praise me. And your worship does not purify the people all along I don't want you to think sometimes we get the idea that that the people just stopped going to church they just they just stopped they didn't stop they were going the whole time they would bring. they would go practice the uh, worship of Baal they would go practice their their pagan uh, um, celebrations they would go do all the things everybody else was doing and they'd still come to the Lord but the Lord said, your praise is no good to me. You remember what Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 when she said, where should we worship? On this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus says, the time's coming when you're not going to worship either place. But the Father is looking for what? True worshipers. They do what? Worship how? In spirit and? Does truth Matter. Does our hypocrisy matter in worship? Now, we all know that we are hypocrites, right? I don't, I don't have to do that lesson, do I? Yeah? If you go to McDonald's and get a Diet Coke with your quarter pounder with cheese, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> right? It's just, it's, we, we all play act. The point is to be like the tax collector. Not, don't pretend you're holy or that you've got it all together. Be be open and honest on your knees before a holy God begging for his mercy and forgiveness. Will he give it? If this people repented, would he have forgiven them? For sure. For sure. This is the attitude that, this is the proper attitude. So instead of faking worship, you know, well, let's just go, we're gonna punch our card. We gotta go give an offering. Today's the day for the, wine offering or whatever that we're gonna do for Yahweh and and you know in the meantime they're worshiping all these other gods. This is why the Lord says, don't don't rejoice. Time's up. For Hosea's wife, there was time when she thought the choice to leave Hosea and run and party with all of her friends and all those people around her was the best decision she ever made. But there would come a day when she would be in bondage, right? All used up. Nobody wants to take care of her. Nobody cares about her. Nobody loves her. She's off in some back alley somewhere, you know, living in the mud. That's when God redeems his people. Because most of the time when we're in that place, we will lift our eyes. And we will say, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And this is the attitude necessary for for his people. So the point that God's making here is judgment's coming. It's not a maybe, they're past that. This is not Hosea warning them, hey, if you guys don't straighten out, judgment's coming. This is not What Hosea is saying. Hosea is saying it's here. They're outside the gates. It's not going to go away. There's no way for you to forestall this judgment. It has come. Look at verse 6. For behold, they are going away from destruction. But Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. So the Lord is saying, look, judgment is coming, period. And part of this judgment is people are going to die. Now, if you've never read your Bible, you don't understand the phrase, Egypt will gather them and Memphis shall bury them. But if you've read your Bible, then you know, you should know that Jacob and Joseph, when they were in Egypt, gave instructions to the children of Israel that when God brought them out of the land, they were to take their bones with them. They were to be buried in the cave of Machpelah, which you can still visit today, were the bones of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Leah, Sarah, Rebecca, all those great names from the book of Genesis. It's there. They said, don't bury us in Egypt. Don't bury us in the place of bondage. You bring us into the land of the Lord. You bury us there. Here God's saying the judgment upon these people is you're going to go and you're going to die and be buried there. Nobody's going to bring your bones back. There's no return from this exile. Nobody comes back. Nobody returns to the land from this one. So he says the people will be destroyed and they're going to be buried in Egypt. Not like Joseph and Jacob whose bones came home to rest in Israel. They're going to be buried in exile. The second thing he says is the land's going to be totally devastated. You're going to have to live in squalor. He says, the nettles are going to be in your house. I hate nettles. Do you guys like nettles? It's it's heartbreaking to find them in your lawn. And to realize, if I don't do something about this, I'm going to have a lawn of nettles, not grass. Right? They're invasive, and pretty soon they're everywhere. What's the Lord saying? Look, that... There, that's going to be the comfort of your home. You're living in nettles. The nettles is, is going, are going to possess your tents. And then ultimately he's saying your judgment is determined. Look at verse 7. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. This judgment, this exile is decreed. When God decrees something, what God decrees comes to pass. Amen? If the Lord give prophecy, and a prophet stood up before the people and said, there would be a, a, you know, child will be born. And on his shoulders will be the government. And he will be the, the promised Messiah. What's going to happen? Is there a chance that doesn't happen? No, not if it's God. What God decrees comes to pass. The Lord is decreeing here. Your judgment is set. The, the enemy is come. They are coming. The judgment has been determined. And then he says, and your leaders are fools. Look how he describes their leadership. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad. Why? Look at why. Because of your great iniquity and your great hatred. Their great iniquity was unfaithfulness to God. And their great hatred was a hatred for God. Is there some other term you would use to describe today? In our world? Do we not live in a land of great iniquity and great hatred? The Lord said, because of this, because of your great iniquity, your sin, and your great hatred, which is a uh, hatred of the Lord, the man of the Spirit is crazy and the prophet a fool. How do the people look at a prophet today? How do they look at a man of the Spirit? I watched uh, a video a while back. I have no idea where it was. But uh, there was a, a guy that um, uh, went to, <laughs> this is very prophet-like, by the way, went to a um, pro-abortion rally with a, a sign that said, Jesus loves you. And uh, and somebody videotaped the interactions that took place. And if there's a way to describe those interactions that he had with the people around him, it's, un- it's unreal the level of of hatred and vitriol that the people are pouring out on this guy who didn't say nothing to them but Jesus loves you. I'm just here to let you know Jesus loves you. And uh, I mean it was it's crazy but the point is when when these things are true you have great iniquity and great hatred then the prophet is a fool and the man of the spirit is mad. Right? You stand on the corner and you look at those people as crazy. If we saw Elijah, we wouldn't think any different. We'd say, what? That guy's crazy. He went to a a Baal uh, um, rally. Isn't that what he did? 400 high priests of Baal. And he stood in front of the rally and he said, hey, let's settle this. If Baal is true or Yahweh is true, let's settle it today. He didn't have like a bunch of guys helping him out. A few prophets from the school of the prophets. Elijah against 400 priests of Baal and all the hosts that were there to worship. Because of your great iniquity and your great hatred, the prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad. Verse 8, the prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of God. So the sin has even crept into their leadership. The issue is they don't have a real prophet other than Hosea. Uh, They don't have somebody. uh, There are the Lord's prophets that are there during the time, but the vast amount of prophets just telling the people what they want to hear. And those guys, it says the prophet's a watchman. He's supposed to sound the trumpet, right? We talked about that last time, yet... He's trapped in a fowler's snare. He's caught like a bird. And there's hatred in the house of his God. You see what it says. There's hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves. Here it is. As in the days of Gebeah. You remember how corrupt you felt reading that story? You guys remember the story? Concubine concubine. This guy has a concubine. Just so you know, concubine is a wife without rights. Oftentimes came from poorer families. So you didn't pay a bride price. She didn't didn't have the the, uh, promise that a regular wife had. But she was still thought of as a a wife. You couldn't just go take somebody's concubine. It's not like she's a prostitute. (laughs) She's a, a wife without the wife's rights. And they they, you remember he's in Cabea and the people come beating on the door hey send that guy out here that we might know him the tribe of Benjamin we remember in the story and the guy puts out his daughter I, people I don't know what to tell you we had a lot of questions Jackie what did you do that for because they're boneheads I don't know what to tell you what, what does the Lord say about them? You are as deeply corrupted as those people were. The Lord's not excusing what they did. He's saying to all these people here in Israel who would probably say, Oh, oh you remember those stories about Gibeah? How, how they raped that concubine until they killed her? And then the, the concubine's husband took her and chopped her up in pieces and sent her to the 12 tribes? Everybody remember the story? We'd never be like that, but the Lord says you are deeply corrupted, like Gibeah. If you don't ever read your Bible, you're not going to know. You'll just see a word and say, "I don't know what that means." But God's told us the history of His people, so when He makes a point to point out an issue of some place where something happened, we can all say, "Oh, I remember that story," right? Listen to what God says. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Now, what does the Bible declare about us when we confess our sins to the Lord, when we repent? How far does he say he'll remove our sins? Far as east is from the west. So if the Lord says, I remember your sins, what didn't happen? There's been no repentance. Right? There has been no repentance. Judgment is coming. <clears throat> because of their iniquity and hatred, the prophet is a fool and their lifestyle has defiled them just like Gabeah Judges 19 through 21. You want to brush up on it, you go right ahead. <laughs> if you've been doing the, when you're reading the Bible in a year, you, you did, how long ago was that? Judges, Ruth, how many? No, it's more than that. anyways, You'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, verse 10. Here's the Lord's response. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Now, when you see that, you want to remind yourself the Lord is speaking. This is God now, right? I found Israel. I found Israel. She's like grapes in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not... Sometimes we think of wilderness, we say the words, the woods... That's not the wilderness. The wilderness in Israel is God-forsaken desert. There's nothing there. Nothing. They're not even cactus. There's nothing. It's weird. I, wouldn't, I don't even want to... I get depressed just driving through it. So it's it's horrible. He says, now, if you were in the middle of this desert with nothing... And you come around the corner, and there's a big grape bush. You'd be pretty stoked, wouldn't you? Oh, look what I found—like grapes in the wilderness. The Lord says, "I found Israel." So you see that the Lord is saying how—I'm oh, gonna break that—how precious Israel was. It's the same thing. Ezekiel sixteen. What's he say? "I found you like a infant child that had been cast out of his mother's womb." Still covered in the the blood and uh, birthing fluids. Just left to die in in the field. I found you and I took care of you. Here he describes Israel as grapes in the wilderness. Like the first fruit on a fig tree in its finest season. I saw your fathers. He's praising the history and the things that they had been through. But you don't read your Bible, you may not understand the next part, but they came to Baal Peor. Baal Peor, that sounds familiar. They consecrated themselves to a thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Baal Peor is the story of Balaam. Remember Balaam in the book of Numbers? and Balaam wanted to get a bunch of money and he was not a Jew he's a Gentile prophet we don't really know much about him other than he's a prophet of God God spoke to him and uh, the king of Moab wanted Balaam wanted to hire Balaam to come curse the children of Israel and God told Balaam first don't do it and Balaam kept asking you ever have your kids keep asking for something and then God said okay go but you better not say anything I don't tell you to say. And so you read the story, Balaam goes, and he prophesies, and there's some beautiful prophecies that Balaam gives of the Messiah when he's supposed to curse Israel, but only blessing comes out. But he really wanted the money. So he looked over at the king, and he said, if you send your temple prostitutes down there and have them just talk to the young men the children of Israel will fall into sexual immorality and God will have to judge them. And they did that at Baal Peor. The prostitutes went down, the children of Israel were, the young men of the children of Israel were all enticed by these foreign beauties and they began uh, participating in sexual immorality in a plague broke out among the children of israel and the children of israel are are dying right and left as a result of this plague that broke out because of that's associated with this sin they've fallen into sexual immorality they're worshiping other gods and they're sleeping with temple prostitutes and they're all gathered outside the tabernacle of meeting and they're praying for God to deliver them. And a young man walks through the middle of the crowd with a Midianite woman and lays down to have sex with her in the sight of all the people. And a man named Phineas gets up and he drives a spear through both of their bodies and it stops the plague. In the men's conference the week or last weekend, we're talking. My, my brain's going. We're talking about cutting down Thor trees. Now, maybe we would say, Well, I don't know if, if that's a, a good thing. We should probably not be walking around stabbing spears through all the people engaged in sexual immorality. Well, these were brothers first. And God does tell us to harshly judge those who call themselves Christians who walk in sexual immorality. But Phineas, in Psalm 106, verse 28, listen to what it says. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. Listen to this phrase. And that was counted to him as righteousness. Does that sound familiar? You go all the way back to Genesis. Where's it? Genesis 12. Abraham believed God. How's it go? And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Phineas was jealous for the Lord. And it was accounted unto him as righteousness. It stopped the plague. What's the Lord saying about Beth, uh, um, or Baal Peor? He's saying, "Look, you guys are like that." So you, he's giving them the description. If you if you never read the story, you don't know what happened at Baal Peor. You don't know that the the children of Israel were literally would just these temple prostitutes who walk in, they just would have sex in front of all the people. And. Eat things sacrificed to the dead. All this wickedness that came in. And so the Lord is saying, this is what you're like. You're like like these things. In verse 11, Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. (coughs) Ephraim's glory is Yahweh. Yahweh is leaving. You're going to see that in a moment. Remember Ezekiel gave a prophecy, Ichabod, the glory has departed. The child was born. He said, name that child Ichabod, for the glory has departed. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up a child, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Why is all this happening? Because God's leaving them. Some of the saddest scripture is, and the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and he did not know. Or Samson, the spirit of the Lord departed from Samson and he knew it not. Can you imagine not knowing that the Lord was not with you? That's what happens when you are so steeped in sin. So what's the impact of the Lord's departure? All of these things are going to come to an end. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow, but Ephraim must lead his children to slaughter. Give them, O oh Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. There are not going to be any more kids. Mostly because there are not going to be any more people. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. A lot of times we have this debate. Does God hate sinners? Did you read that? What did the Lord say? There in Gilgal I began to hate them. What's he mean? I thought we're not supposed to to hate. There comes a point in a person's rebellion against the Lord where you have reached the end of mercy and you have stepped into the realm of the wrath of God. They were by nature children of wrath. Set for Destruction. So the Lord is saying, I, when I leave, this is all going to come apart. Verse 16, Ephraim is stricken. The root is dried up. They will bear no more fruit. So there's, there's no more northern kingdom. It's going to be gone. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. The Lord's point is, he is wiping out all the north. Everything in the north is not coming back. What, what, what still remains of the north will be the Samaritans at the time of Christ. He says in verse 17, my God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Cast out, wandering among the nations. God has rejected them. They have rejected him. The three things we see in these last several verses they will bear no fruit they are rejected and they will be exiled out of the land. Now hold that up next to God's promises Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. That's where they were once. Proverbs 1434 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is the reproach of the people. There is a point where God says, You have crossed over. We've seen that in scripture before, haven't we? And he gave them over to a debased mind. We've seen it, right? To do those things that are unlawful, to do those things you can't even imagine. This is what Hosea is describing. The sin of the northern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom is going to face these things. The northern kingdom is going to go into captivity and ultimately to destruction. And so, what shall we do? What are, what, what are we supposed to do about that? Who is the message for? Judah. Just like Ezekiel 16. Because the Lord's going to say, Your sister, Judah, your sister Israel, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, went into destruction. Who is God going to redeem? Who's he going to bring back? He's going to bring back the the remnant from the exile of Babylon. He will go get them where nobody wants them. And he'll bring them back. And there will yet be a day, right? Where God's going to call the nation of Israel from the four corners of the earth. I've discussed this with you before. They're not all in Israel yet. There's plenty of room. And there's more Jews in New York than Israel. So we're still looking for God to, to do that work. And, and I believe that work will come with his kingdom when he returns. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you, Lord, to see your provision, God, what you have, what you have given, Lord. And I know sometimes when we, when we go through and we see the judgment of God, we, it's always removed from his grace because now they've crossed the line. Now they've reached the point where, where judgment is to come. That's where we are in the story. But that's not the whole story of Hosea. Right now, we're in the story where Hosea's wife has been thrown out by everybody else. Nobody wants her. That's what they're going to experience. All the things they hoped for are going to go away. They won't have any of those things anymore. And so... God, you declare this part in the middle of the book so that we can recognize and realize, Lord God, that there is a redemption coming, that you will buy her back. So, God, I pray that we hold fast to the truth. Your word declares to us, God, what you tell us, what you promise us that we don't remove it from judgment. We know, God, that that, uh, we pray, Lord, for our nation because it seems like we are a mirror image. Lord, we pray that you would equip us and establish us to learn the lesson of those who have gone before so that we don't repeat, that we would fall on our knees before a holy God, beat our breast and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, that you be glorified and magnified in it all. In Jesus' name.